0: on the air okay (laughs) i just like saying that (laughs) welcome back episode 10 the all the fly kids show this is the paradise lost episode today we have a woman here who um i met last year about this time um at a really really awesome event that's coming up in february actually the black love experience at the anacostia art center that's a pre uh A promo type of thing uh, for that event. Check it out. But nonetheless, um, heard her speaking on a panel that um, we shared together. And um, I don't know. Somehow we just got connected, and I learned that, you know, she is a force to be reckoned with in the DC community. You know, she's out here in these streets doing the good work for all the good people, you know. And I am very glad to have her on the show. Today, we have Miss Chioma Iwoha yes I look said, at write. you
1: saying it right
0: i practiced <laughs> <laughs> i made sure i practiced because i don't like stomach i used to do telemarketing back in the day so you know i had to get good with saying people's, people's names, names yeah. yeah so but thank you for being on the show
1: thank you for inviting me
0: and we also have an actual kid in the building because this is all the fly kids so it's <laughs> first time we ever had a kid we have miss Ngozi with us today
1: say hello Ngozi. <laughs>
0: She she's doing her artistic thing right now, so you know, she'll chime in as needed. <laughs> right. When when she sees fit, she will chime in <laughs> on the program. Um, but yeah, so let's just jump right into it. So, Chioma. Well, I'm gonna call you Chi Chi because that's what you told me to call you, so I'm gonna call you Chi Chi. Okay. <laughs> Chi Chi. So um tell the people where you're from.
1: I'm from here. I'm from Washington, DC. I grew up in the Shaw Howard neighborhood. Um so this neighborhood is very familiar.
0: Okay. To okay. Me. okay. And what was D.C. like for you growing up? Like just how you remember it, what what is near and dear to you as a child or even as a teen?
1: Yeah, well, we were just talking about this and, you know, this neighborhood means so much to me. When I grew up, it was nothing but black business owners like up and down the strip. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom. Had an ice cream shop across the street on um, right there at the intersection of Georgia Avenue and Florida. My dad had a clothing store. Um, what is that like on Eleventh and U? So I'm very familiar with just like being in this neighborhood, being a part of the community. And I went to St. Augustine on Fourteenth and V. Mm-hmm. So I would leave school and just go to my dad's shop and hang out there and talk to people on the block. Okay. Um. So yeah, like that's what I remember about DC. Just very familiar. Um very community oriented, v- dominated with like black business owners and people who were out here just trying to make a way for themselves and them f- and their families. okay. Um, and Marion Bray was the uh, mayor. So yes, he was. I
0: used to think Marion
1: Bray was two people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that was, yeah. How did you think it was two people?
1: <laughs> it was like, I don't know. I thought it was like Marion and then like Barry. I thought it was like two people. I don't know why. I just <laughs> always thought it was like two people until I got a little bit older and was like, oh, like this is like somebody who is really like invested in the community and single handedly like building the black middle class.
0: Okay. Okay. And the name Shioma, what's the origin of that?
1: It's Ibo. Ebo. Ebo. God is good. Okay. She means God.
0: Ebo as in Nigeria. hmm Okay. Is your family Nigerian?
1: My dad's from Nigeria. Okay. Um, or oh, MO State. So I had like, you know, I'm we had like the goosey soup and the Ibo dishes in the home. Uh and you know, any I I my mom's from the south. She's from Mobile, Alabama. My mom's from Mobile, Alabama. Okay. So um I'm the I'm the first like native washingtonian okay um me and my my sisters and i
0: okay okay how many sisters i
1: have two younger sisters
0: all right so you're the oldest i'm the eldest and so they
1: don't listen to me though (laughs) (laughs) not the oldest can like run stuff like i I can't run nothing i don't run nothing
0: so you you got the torch to bear as far as the kids go
1: yeah well i definitely got in trouble when they got in trouble so if they did something wrong i was in trouble but they never actually listened to me
0: (laughs) so i'm doing my research on you because um I think this will probably be the very first like full length conversation we've ever had, one on one. So gotta I'm gonna ask some things just so to give the people some more info about you as well just for myself to know. So mm-hmm. um you went to the field school, correct?
1: I work at the field school. I didn't go to the field school. Oh okay,
0: okay, 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 okay. You work at the field school. So what led you to um working there? Cause um as far as I know, it's one of the uh it's one of the uh prominent non religious private schools in the city.
1: Yeah. Um, so back okay, so back when I was working at Empire DC, which is a grassroots um organization, mm-hmm. I was mostly like in charge of just building relationships with people, going out in the community, hearing um, their grievances and talking to them about things that we could do about it. Okay. In the midst of that, I was also um, responsible for spearheading an Empower DC fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And it was really one of my, one of my first times putting myself in a position to like raise money for a cause that I truly believed in. Okay. So after working with Empower DC and um kind of having that experience, I really wanted to continue in that trajectory So I went and started fundraising and applying for, like, fundraising positions in the city and ended up at um, Legal Aid Justice Center that provides legal services for low-income individuals in Northern Virginia. So over the course of, like, my career trajectory, I kind of just, like, fell into fundraising and development work. But it led me to the field school where I fundraised for financial aid. So the field school is an affluent school um where youth do have to pay you know close to like what they have to pay like what forty eight thousand dollars a year in order to attend the institution but they're about 20 percent of the student body is on financial aid so i'm charged with fundraising so that the school is more accessible to people within the community
0: okay all right wow i didn't even know like positions like that like existed like in that capacity where like you know you're doing fundraising work because i know a lot of people you think about a private school and you just think like this is only for you know people with money you know if uh, a city or state is providing scholarships for students who um i guess are academically um adept for for the school that you know they might do they might provide that but as far as like actual fundraising i never heard of this but
1: Yeah, I mean, all of our, all the alumni gifts go directly towards financial aid. Um, And we are very intentional about making sure that the school is diverse, is accessible. um, And we can only do that if we fundraise money. I think fundraising oftentimes is like a taboo topic. People don't like to ask other people for money, but they don't think about the feeling that they get when they give, Mm -hmm. right? Like when I give to somebody that I truly, something that I truly believe in, like I want to see it grow. I'm to see the end result. Um, so I'm never afraid to ask people for what I need in order to be successful and to funnel resources into the community. So I think this is the right like it's the right path for me, and I try to connect it to the grassroots organizing work that I do.
0: um I wanna actually jump back a little bit and talk about your time at Lafayette College, okay, um it's a liberal arts college in yeah. in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, okay. What was it like going going to school up there? I used to live I used to live in Pennsylvania. Well, I lived in Philly, you Mm -hmm. know, which I know is like what that's like an hour and a half away from where you were. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm I have a little uh, apprehension to small towns because I'd be like, "What do you do here?" But just go to the mall or go to the (laughs) bar. There was nothing. There
1: was (laughs) nothing in that town. Nothing. Um. So I grew up in, like I said, Washington, D.C., and I went to predominantly black um, schools my entire life. Like, mm. I never had white friends. Okay. <laughs> I never went to school with white people. Okay. Um, even my high school, the high school that I came from was Kima Public Charter School, which is an African-centered school. Right, right. They would take us to Ghana, Benin, and Togo every two years. Okay. So if you couldn't afford to sco- go, like the school would take you. Mm-hmm. So I came from like the diversity, like the most diverse person we would have would be like Dominican, you okay. know, which is <laughs> still African, right? Right, you know, still a person of uh, color. Uh, yeah, you're only. still a person of color. You're still of African descent. Um, so I ended up one of my teachers submitted my name to Posse, um, which is a full tuition leadership scholarship. Okay. And there were about a thousand youth who applied for it during my year, but now it's like huge. It's okay. a huge program. Um, it's very competitive. And I won um uh, I I actually was one of thirty people out of a thousand who were chosen to get a full tuition scholarship to go to a top tier institution. Okay. Um it would have been we go through like this eight um, month training process. In order to get more familiar with your posse mm-hmm. um, and talk about like race, class, and gender, and how you show up as a leader mm-hmm. um, on on campus. Mm-hmm. So I chose Lafayette College. That was the school that I chose to attend, and it would have been the first like school that I went to with white folks. Okay. Um, it was, I think, the greatest thing about posse is that, and the reason why it was created was um debbie who is the founder of it was talking to a student who dropped out of college and he said that he never would have dropped out if he had his posse so she created a program where people go to school together and they're each other's support system so that they don't drop out of school okay um So even though uh, it was really hard getting acclimated to a predominantly white campus, I had a group of people around me who were just like really supportive and making sure that I like did what I had to do. It was very drastically different than anything I'd experienced. I became a leader on campus. Had to address racial insensitivities. So I started training me f- to show up right yeah. in ways for my for folks in my community mm-hmm. to talk about race and class and to hold the institution um accountable to us, our the student body. <laughs> so yeah, Lafayette was very very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. I you know Obama just gave his last what final speech the uh yesterday yep and I was just thinking back on the first time he ran and I was what a sophomore I believe in college okay and I was doing like organizing on campus around like his campaign yeah so we, me and my best friend, we woke up really early in the morning and we started chalking the campus with his name. Mm-hmm. Um, we get out of like our arts class, we walk up the steps and it's this like white guy from one of the fraternities on camp, on campus. And mind you, there's no like black fraternities or sororities on campus, only like predominantly white ones. Um, and he's like hosing Obama's name off. Mm-hmm. And we confronted him and we were like, what are you doing? You know, you're not like you. If you want to organize around your candidate, um, then that's what you do. You do that. Mm-hmm. But don't don't erase the hard work that we've been putting into this, like that we've been putting into his campaign. And, you know, all the fraternity members came outside, were yelling at us like um, they need to get rid of welfare. And they were very like antagonistic. And even if you Google, like, my name, like, an article pops up about the incident because it turned into this really big thing in Easton, Pennsylvania. So it's, it's like, Easton is small. So if anything happens, like, it gets around town quickly. We had to have, like, a town hall meeting about it. Um, They had to, like, address it on campus and come up with action steps on what they were going to do in order to, like, resolve it. And then we had to, like, mediate the whole situation out. So these this is just an example of some of the things that, like, I had to experience on campus, being at a predominantly white institution, being around white folks for the very first time, really, um, and seeing firsthand, like, what, what racism looks like up close. Okay. Right? Because you hear these things, you're like, white supremacy exists, right? There mm-hmm. are systems in place that oppress black people. But I had never been a right, been around white folks. I never had to deal with like microaggressions from white people. Mm-hmm. I never had to deal with like being told I couldn't come into a party because I was black or I wasn't a part of they would say because I wasn't a part of like a sorority um or fraternity. but you know, because that's what they would say to the guys too. But it would be like, you know, essentially no black people were pledging. We didn't have a Greek life for of our own. okay. All we had was our own like social circles. So when we would try try to like venture off and go to other people's things, I'd be like, "Mm, you know, you're not allowed here. So this was my first time really seeing it up close and experiencing it. Um, And it really just created this fire in me to just keep doing the work that I was doing. I was a leader when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and organizing around like Darfur and talking to my classmates about um, different issues that impacted us because I was a part of like a um, Determined Teens uh, take a stand mm-hmm. and it was like a group it was a collective of youth who would like go out and talk to youth about the issues that impacted them yeah yeah and then that's how I got into the college campus and I had to do that on Lafayette's um, campus and when I graduated you know I just knew that organizing um was is for me you know and I just happened to fall into the skill of fundraising and then I just merged the two together <laughs>
0: So, but I guess basically, before you even knew what you'd be doing, years later, that experience at Lafayette prepared you for that, you know.
1: Yeah, it <laughs> definitely, it definitely did. Um, I, I mean, it really woke that it, that experience really woke me up. It really did. And gozy sit down, okay? I need you to stay still until I'm finished, I'm okay? Going somewhere? You're not going anywhere. You just need to relax. I'm, I'm
0: Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> Keys are hilarious.
1: <laughs> She's a busybody for sure.
0: So when you finished school, well, before you even finished school, you knew that you were going to come back home. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I definitely knew I was coming back to DC. Um, I didn't want to live anywhere else. Okay. And I still don't really like. I don't mind like traveling to other places, but like DC's my home. It's very familiar to me. I love the city. Um, even though it's not the same as it was when I uh, left to okay. go to school, it was funny every time I would come back to break. There'd be like a whole new strip or something yeah. that I never saw
0: before. <laughs> I can yeah, trust me, I, I'm already hip. So. Yes,
1: yeah, five seconds you leave for five seconds, you come back, and it's like, wait, what? Y'all them built up a whole new neighborhood. And so, so you,
0: what year did you graduate?
1: Uh, from college, 2010. 2010. Okay, mm-hmm.
0: so you get back to DC two years into the first Obama term. Um, what was the first plan of action upon hitting hitting the ground? In D.C.? Yeah.
1: Well, I think it was really hard for me because when I came back, I didn't really... I wasn't employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I worked, what, like a few months and ended up, like, just, like, leaving that job. And I didn't have, like, stable... Yes. Okay. We're almost done, okay? <laughs> um, I didn't really have I didn't have employment. I didn't know which direction I wanted to go in. I think a lot of people think that they know exactly what they want to do when they graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, funny thing is I was like watching television, um, and there was a one DC was doing a um a tent city. Okay. So they the property okay. over there across the street from the library. They were trying to make that into like affordable housing, either affordable housing complex or trying to add a significant amount of affordable housing units in it. Okay, And um, the person who got the tra- contract had reneged on that. So they were... St- Tenting out on this lot of land, like you know, camping out on this lot of land mm-hmm. in order to protest. Okay. And I saw it and went to go there and ended up meeting a lot of like local community organizers in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and was there for like a few Mommy. months.
0: Mommy. Mommy. Uh,
1: I'm really tired. <laughs> Can you wait, Cozy? Keep drawing, and then I'm almost done. Okay.
0: Okay. I'm
1: going. I'm going to. Okay, we're about to go to Gma's house.
0: Magic word, Gma. <laughs> Looks like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, continue.
1: Um, yes. I, um, what was I saying? I said you were talking about the Tent City. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up at the Tent City. So that was like my first time, like doing organizing work outside of working outside of like after graduating college.
0: Okay. 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 And so then from there, what was what was your next move?
1: Oh, where did I go after that? Um yes. I did yes. some, I was just hopping around from like job yes. to job to job. Like it was just whatever yes. I could do to like to really sustain job. myself.
0: Sustain <laughs> myself.
1: And <laughs> I ended up <laughs> at Occupy.
0: Okay. okay.
1: Through True. DC choice. So I was a part of like And okay. okay. I need you to calm down, okay? Calm down? Yes, I want you to draw. Cause mommy's talking... You see me talking? Yes, yes, I'm talking too. Yay. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna ask you a question soon, okay? Yes. And then you get to answer it. But when I'm talking, you can't talk. Okay. Thank you. Okay.
0: Occupy okay. DC. Yeah, okay. so.
1: I, um, I was sitting, I was in my room, and I was watching um, Democracy Now!, mm-hmm. and they were talking about Troy Davis. Okay. And I just remember feeling like, I think his lawyer, Ben Jealous, and a few other people were on there just talking about the mounting of evidence that proved his innocence. I got it. I got it. Um... And I really felt like, you know, I should be doing something to focus on the criminal, like, justice system. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, a few, like, maybe a couple hours after watching that, there were a group of Howard students that were marching to the White House to protest um, the execution of Troy Davis. Mm -hmm. And I remember I just jumped up, ran out the house. Um, down the street, ran into these random girls that I didn't know, and told them about his case, and basically it was like, "Like we have to do something about it." Okay. And they came down to the White House with me. It was their fur. They didn't know me from nothing. Yeah. And they came down with me because they believed, like you know, no man should be ex- executed if he's innocent. Okay. Um. So they were people were we were out there protesting all day, protested uh, walk from the White House to the Supreme Court. And, like, after hours of just being out there, I really truly believed that, you know, something positive would come out of it. And by the time I got home, they... um the su- the the Supreme Court rejected the stay, and Troy Davis was ex- executed. Mm-hmm. So that was like the first hard reality that like protesting and stuff. Although it can work, like there's a lot of like ongoing work that needs to be done in order to like get rid of the death death penalty, um, and do work around the criminal justice system. Okay. So a group of folks who were out there protesting decided to start a collective called DC Troy Davis. Okay. And we would host um. Like know your rights workshops the 22nd of each month because Troy Davis was uh, executed September 22nd or 21st mm-hmm. um, so every month on the day he was executed we would do some sort of workshop Okay, and that's how I ended up around that time Occupy kicked off Yeah. so then I ended up at Occupy just talking about DC Troy Davis the criminal justice system uh, hey, hey. building with local organizers and attorneys lawyers who were doing work around that and um we started like another committee and gozi. I'm talking, you have to relax, okay? So, um, yeah, like we, I ended up there. A bunch of us were organizing around Wells Fargo and the death penalty. And it was just, like, a great opportunity to meet local organizers that were doing work Mm. um, around different issues. Mm. So a lot of people that I know who are doing community organizing right now, I met them through the work I was doing either at Occupy or D.C. Troy Davis. Okay.
0: All right. Um... Okay, Troy Davis, Occupy DC. Um, so overall, I want to ask you what since you've been talking about, especially the criminal justice system, was there ever a point that you ever thought that you wanted to do like law school or anything like that?
1: I when I grew up, when I was growing up, I did want to be like a lawyer. Okay, but um, I realized that it's just I that's not like the field that I necessarily want to go in. Okay, um, I do like fundraising. I like being out in the community. I like connecting with people. Um, I know a lot of attorneys, so I feel like. I'm more so see myself as a connector, like a person who builds relationships with people with people who have different professions. Mm. And then I just make sure that, you know, we're all interconnected in some in some way. Okay. You have to take take that off your mouth. Take it off and put it on the right way. I
0: will only give you a kick on me.
1: You have to stay in your seat. I'm almost done, okay? So sit down and draw. Oh,
0: that's a long way to go home. No, nah, we're almost done. <laughs> Trust me, we're almost done. All right, so um, the reason why I ask, like I said, because, like, you you know your stuff. You know your stuff. And, I mean, just overall, like, um, I think anybody who goes into hardcore day-to-day community service work. Um, I'm just like social justice work like you got to know the law you Mm -hmm. know but and a lot of people they a lot of us a lot of black people you know they go into the legal field but how many of us are like I guess working in the in the in the areas of law where that would be most beneficial for us as Mm -hmm. a community you know so that's why I ask, you know
1: yeah I mean that's true I think that there are a lot of people I know a lot of like black um, attorneys and some of them have to pay off student loans so mm-hmm. I don't blame them for taking a, a job at a firm you yeah. know to pay off those loans because right, right, right. they don't have a lot of them don't have the flexibility to just like take a community organizer position or work at a non-profit mm-hmm. um, it's not something that's economical mm-hmm. but if you have like um, parents and a, a, a larger network of people that can support you, then you have more, like you can do stuff like that. You can make those type of sacrifices, okay. but oftentimes black people can't do that.
0: But now you're right. A lot of people, I mean, they got to pay the loans, so you know, I'm not, I'm not mad at how, what they choose as far as the um the area of law they go into, but it would just be good if if more people, um, like I said, went into went into um. Even if it's like criminal justice, you know what I mean? Cause like, there's we know the numbers, you know, in terms of just how disproportionate they are as as if as far as like blacks and Latinos go, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, just my thoughts, just my thoughts, you know? What yeah,
1: I mean? I, I mean, the only people that's going to help us are us, and we have a um a law for Black Lives group that's was created in DC, mm-hmm. so it's not exclusively Black people, but it's people who are who are lawyers, attorneys who want to help people who are going through black folks who are like just being hit by the system mm-hmm. at different angles. Mm-hmm. So, I think as long as we're build, building a group of folks who are actively doing work around that, um you know, we we might be okay, we just have to make sure that we're pulling our resources together.
0: Okay. So You want to work with Empower DC? as well as Black Lives Matter D.C. Uh-huh. Now your focus is Melanin Uprising. Tell tell, tell listeners about Mel- Melanin Uprising.
1: Okay, so Melanin Uprising is a youth collective between um, comprised of about six youth between the ages of 16 and 22. So last October, well, October 2015, um, a group of young people and myself came together and decided that we wanted to create a space for young people to talk about um, the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. um, issues that were impacting them, systemic oppression, and what they could do in order to combat it. Okay. So we go out into middle schools and high schools across the city, mostly in Ward 7 and Ward 8, mm-hmm. and talk to um, young people about self-esteem, mm-hmm. uh, racial justice, or whatever issue it is that they want to talk about, um, cultural appropriation recently our most recent event was around um consent so a lot of our youth youth felt like um they wanted to talk about just sexual violence Mm -hmm. that were happening in schools um how uh people felt um just people felt like there was an escalation of like sexual violence that they were experiencing interesting interesting. so they wanted to like hold space okay to have this hard conversation and it was really it was really powerful but these kids they create their own lesson plans Mm -hmm. Um, they implement them they do workshops so not only do they go out and talk to uh, black and brown youth but they've also held uh, workshops around with white folks on racial justice um, and talked about the pillars of white supremacy in our communities so they're doing awesome work some of the um, they've really stepped out there and Taken the lead and shown everybody that you do can control um, the narrative. They control. They can control their own narrative, and they don't need um, other people to dictate their own trajectory. Mm-hmm. So. For me, I just leverage my resources as their mentor. Okay. So if they need something, I try to create space and find the perp- the people who can help them. Okay. So Algebra, who is somebody that you interviewed um, the, at the Madison House, he opened his home to us, and they were able to do an open mic night, uh, and they packed the house. Yeah. You know, it was almost a hundred youth there. How they like home, how,
0: how they like the Madison House?
1: They loved it, and they go, they hang out there without you know without me. They they drop by there so to me I want to introduce them to spaces that exist in the city that that are here for them as a resource it's a healing house mm-hmm. you know our youth are dealing with so much in our community um, you know we have youth in our program who don't have stable housing who are uh, struggling to get scholarships to stay in school who uh, can't find um, uh, jobs that Pay you know uh, a living wage, mm-hmm. so there are all these things that are hitting them from different angles, and they just need a space to really just be themselves, to talk about it, and to get the um and to feel empowered to do something about it. Okay. So that's exact. That's essentially what we're doing. Right. This month we're going to be doing a self defense, a youth self defense class, or well, a defense class for youth. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever it is that they want to do and whatever it is that they hear the, the youth in the community saying they want, they try to create opportunities to do it. We've had, we've done communities, we do quarterly community service projects. So, you know, there's nothing that we, you know, there's nothing that we're not doing essentially, you know, and so many people are coming and, and trying to support us. Um, and I'm so grateful for everybody who's just stepped up and tried to um, support them the best way they could. Okay. It goes to get from up under the table. Put your socks on. Put your socks on and put your shoes on. We're about to leave. Come on. Yes, we're about to leave.
0: I <laughs> first. It's almost your turn. We'll let you know in just a second. It's almost your turn.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, I pretty much like I've been, you know, I've been doing a lot. Um... And, and all these experiences and all these relationships that I've built and all these different collectives that I've been a part of have really h- helped me become the person that I am today.
0: And the youth, that age, that's like the best time to get someone interested, I think, in in just like service. You know what I mean? Because um, as with anything, the older you get, the harder it is to get people to change their minds or like wrap their minds, wrap their minds around anything outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So when I first learned, um, about Melanin Uprising, I was just like, Oh, it's a youth movement here. Um, I always say like the youth are going to be what are going to be who really pushes the envelope in terms of just, um, seeing some real, real change in the streets in DC. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because like they're the generation that's behind us, you know. Um and their their what is it? Um I guess like their their level of just like fear and just like their naivety in terms of just like life experiences doesn't prevent them from I guess one from like stopping like, okay, well I can't do that. Cause you know, this might happen. Like, uh, you know, like not, they don't have that fear, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or just those apprehensions that you, 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 you gain as you get older, once you've gone through things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's dope.
1: Yeah. I'm, I mean, and turn, they, my turn, my they're turn. a lot of them have a lot of the experience have. A lot of them have already struggled. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that based on, um, a lot i think we have a misconception that somehow youth don't understand the world around them mm-hmm. right and what it takes in order to survive mm-hmm. and a lot of them and a lot of them have already gone through so many things in their life that that have prepared them mm-hmm. for this i know my youth have okay um and I, they're just using what it is the skills that they already have and they're finding it within themselves and i think that's largely in part what we do as adults right Mm -hmm. um we learn more about ourselves as we get older and based on our different level of like struggle Mm -hmm. and i see adults who just haven't gone through much right yeah very naive and i've seen young people who are just who act like they're forty years old because they've been through so many things because of adversity. Right, right. Um, so f- to me, it's about showing the world that youth can step up. They do step up. They do lead, and they've been and they've been doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just think about, um, you know, who was during the civil rights era you know uh snick those were young children Mm -hmm. i have in our um in the building that i live in uh this um former black panther or black panther his name is valentine i mean he started he tells me he started when he was 19 years old Mm -hmm. you know these are young people have been largely at the forefront of movements in general and i want them to see those examples in the past and see who's doing the work right now and just you know do it
0: okay all right Alright, what would you like to say Ngozi? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you gotta get closer. Okay. Okay, okay be let me, gentle. Let me let me help you out. Let me help you out. Alright. That way. This way. And then you're gonna talk it to the mic. What would you like to say? Okay. Hi. What's your name?
1: You got to focus, or we're going to turn the mic off. Okay, so what's your name?
0: Okay, and uh, my name is... No, 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 English English. no, don't hold that, don't, touch don't it. hold that. Don't touch it. Go ahead and talk.
1: Just say it. Switch. Don't touch the mic, just talk. Right here?
0: No, talk right here. It's just stand right here and talk. Right on this side and talk. Here? Yeah, yes. Yes. No, but don't touch it, just talk.
1: Okay, Shepherd.
0: what's your name?
1: Ngozi Baskami woha woha And what school do you go to? Kaumba. Do you know what kumba means?
0: Mm. You understand
1: um. And what? Um. What's your sibling's name? What's your brother and sister name?
0: Um, a free, uh,
1: uh, um, free uh, a free a And what's your brother's name? Uh, Okay. And how old are you? Three. You're three years old. Yes. Okay. No. <laughs>
0: I thanks for sharing with us and goes we appreciate it
1: (laughs) yeah well this is what i mean this is what my life is is about working um doing stuff for the youth and being a mother yeah and oftentimes like i often talk about like just being in community organizing spaces and being very aware of like their parents who are doing this work very invested and oftentimes like We get asked to do so much, right, without, like, real support, a real support system. Yeah. So I oftentimes, like, when I go to community spaces or I do things, you know, I bring in Gozi with me Um, because she has to be there. We got to have our babies on our hips and they have to see everything that we're doing so that they're influenced by it.
0: I'm not mad at it. (laughs) Trust me. I'm not mad at it. Um, I'm asking question has absolutely nothing to do with anything we're talking about tonight. Okay. So you're a backyard fan, right?
1: Yeah, I like Backyard. Okay. I just, you know what? You know, her dad uh, actually took me to my first go-go. So I didn't go to my first go-go until I was like 22 years really? old. Yeah. Like, I wasn't really, like, I was a very, I was the first baby. So I was very, very sheltered. I okay. mean, if you think about D.C., like, back in, like, the early 90s.
0: So your first b- Backyard show was at 22. Where'd you, what where, where was No,
1: it, who did I see? I saw another band. Okay, okay. I saw another band, but I've been to back plenty of black yards, backyard sh- uh, shows. Since then, um,
0: the reason why I ask is because I, I like to know. I ask a lot of people this question: What's your favorite dope jam? What year?
1: Um, let's see, like favorite backyard song?
0: No, like because you know they got the dope jam, so every year they come out with a dope jam, right? Yeah. So for me. <sighs> It's a toss up between ninety-three and ninety-five. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I just feel like I just I gravitate towards like favorite. I have like favorite songs, like favorite go-go songs. Mm-hmm. That bring up like memories of like junior high school and like high school. Okay. So like sexy lady is definitely one of them.
0: Okay, U C B yeah.
1: Yeah, and then like um what's another one? I don't want to talk
0: anymore. You can turn it off. Okay. All right, so we're good. <laughs> no, you don't want any more water? Okay. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, sexy
0: lady. That's a that. I remember when I was at audio engineering school in New York, and I played that for my class. <laughs> they thought that I was Trey singing on the record. Oh my god! It was like, is that you? Like, nah, man. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't me, man. So many
1: people hate, like, so many people hate go go, but I just have these moments, like, in my life. Like, I feel like Go-Go was, like, the thing to go to. Like, I used to really want to go to Go-Go's and all this other stuff. And my mom would be like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So, I kind of feel like... You know, once I got older, I got to, like, experience something about this. Like, experience the city in a way that I've never experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, like, go-go is definitely important. And, like, these kids today, they don't even listen to go-go anymore.
0: They just want to rap now.
1: Yeah, I mean, they don't. I mean, or it's, like, this EDM or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, Folks, are, they don't listen. Like, go-go is not, like, what's hot, yeah. you know? So that makes me very sad because I feel like it's very much a part of, like, D.C. culture. Um, and like who we are, mm-hmm. so the fact that we're losing it really just makes me semi sad
0: yeah i mean i i I know a guy he says his daughter who's a teenager now doesn't like go go, yeah, and but he's like because she's never been to one where it's like you know. When I was a teen, when he was a teen, when a bunch of people I know were teens, like, we were in there, like, right. regularly. Like, it was nothing, you know. It's like
1: a thing that goes, and my <laughs> middle sister, like, I don't know why my parents were so strict with me, but, like, my middle sister, she was always, she was always. you were the go. first. The yeah, first. I was the first one. <laughs> so why. it was like, they were just, like, not even, messed, like, they was just like, no. But with my sister, she begged and she made sure that she got to go. And I think my mom <laughs> just, like, loosened up and she was like, yeah, whatever, just, like, go
0: ahead. And no, she had to make sure the first one she got it, she got it right the first time. Yeah. Then she's like, okay, she's okay. So I think I can loosen up now with right, this with this second right. one. You know what I mean?
1: So I was like, she definitely sheltered me like to the max, m- um, tenth degree. But you know, I love I do I love go go, mm-hmm. and um, I definitely like am more intentional about like going and buying CDs and like making sure that my daughter like listens to it simply yeah. because people like a lot of young people just really aren't into it anymore yeah
0: yeah it is unfortunate um well this leads me to my next question um you live east of the river east of the anacostia river yeah. Ward seven yeah you spent a lot of time at Ward eight yeah um i want to talk about this because i know this was this was like a hot topic um when it was happening and it still is a hot tap- hot topic even after the swearing in but just like the political transition um in both Ward 7 and 8 you know what I mean yeah. like you have Vince Gray come back into the fold for Ward 7 this Ward 7 council mm-hmm. and you have um which was unexpected by quite a few but you know fought for diligently um when that is um Treon White um now being a Ward 8 councilman and um after his loss last last term mm-hmm. uh to la Ruby May mm-hmm. um what Even the
1: first time he only lost by 30 votes
0: right right and so it's just like such a small margin that first time so i mean i'm pretty sure that was just enough i'm like okay i got to do this again you know right. what i mean cuz like you know the people clearly want me but this is just like we can make this happen you know what i mean but just seeing that those two um those two get get into office, um, get into those positions. Um, one coming from, you know, just like all the uh, the 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 media, um, the media stuff about just like you know um, all the investigations with, uh, around Vince Gray and his administration when he was mayor, mm-hmm. um, to just like you know Trayon White as far as being inside of the, being a part of the council, the new guy. What do you think? with them in position, um, the future holds for Ward Seven and Eight?
1: Um, well I'm I'm more excited about, you know, Trayon. Mm-hmm. Uh I um what did I I think I first like heard about him when I started working at Empire D C. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were just talking about like all the things that he's been doing in the community and he always shows up. Like if you ever ask him to do something, like he's there. He's mm-hmm. always in the community. And that's what that's what I like to see. Um, one of this woman that I'm um close to who lives in a berry farm and is a part of the Berry Farm Tenant Association, she talked about just like her water getting cut off and how she called Trayon's office. And um, people within our office made sure that they sent her water Mm -hmm. for the day until her water got cut back on. Mm -hmm. Like that's the type of leadership we need. And he always shows up. He's always there. Um, He was just doing an interview. And someone asked him about the $100 million that, uh, Mayor Bowser put in towards affordable housing. And he said, we need more. Mm -hmm. And that's like that. He really shows up and speaks on behalf of the community and it's up to us to really make sure that we hold him accountable. So yeah, I'm excited about both. Well, I'm excited about, uh, Trion White. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about Robert White. He's, he's new on the council. Um, Vincent Gray has done this before. Um, and there were some things that he's done that I'm, you know, I don't necessarily, uh, support, but, um, it's the people that really like make sure that the city runs Mm -hmm. um, and they represent us. So as long as we are holding them accountable, I think that we're going to see some great things come out of both wards because we are setting the tone for what we want it to look like.
0: I mean, it's both those wards hold the largest number of native Washingtonians as residents still. Mm -hmm. Um, as well as, um, I'm not totally up to, um, just up to up, up up to breast with uh with um what's happening in Ward 7 like in terms of like economic development so mm-hmm. to speak but definitely with Ward 8 you know I'm very very aware of what's coming over there and I just sometimes just in conversation with people I just want to I just ask them like you know let me backtrack so I was having a conversation yesterday um I actually posted this um on social media today you know Mm-hmm. I was po- I posted this on social media today because I had a conversation about it yesterday, which was you know, um, if you pay taxes in the city mm-hmm. in which you live, everything is for you. A lot of people say like, "Oh, this isn't for us." They are building this because it's not for us, you know. And um, I get what they're saying when they say that. You mm-hmm. know, they're basically saying um, they are building this because there is a large, a, a major influx of, of of revenue and money coming in. You know, there's a lot of white people living in the city now who weren't here before. So now we got to fix the place up and put all this uh, all these new shiny things and uh, up and around. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like, I hear you. I get that. And that's definitely a large part of it. But because you are a taxpaying citizen, a taxpaying resident, you know, you are just as entitled to what they are getting ready to put um, in your neighborhood, in your backyard as the next person and. I just I still sense some apprehension, you know. Even when I speak to people who are, you know, of means who have like, you know, traveled and done a whole bunch of things. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, well, what are you so apprehensive about? Like, you go uptown and go to some of these things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. even with um busboys and poets coming to um Martin Luther King Jr. Avenue. You know what I mean? Like, I for me, I said like, man, that's amazing. Like. Ward well, A's getting like a full service restaurant, you know, and like I have my reservations about bus Boys and poets because I'm a former employee and, you know, I used to work at the 14th Street location. But, you know, even still in the grand scheme of things, like it's a full service restaurant, you know, what I mean, it's not and it's not ser- serving, you know, food that will keep you on your your your, your pressure pills and your Lipitor cholesterol medication. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, they just open, and, turn
1: a natural, not strip.
0: Absolutely, like, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All of those things, you know. And so I, I just, I know it's going to take time. I just wish that, you know, I just wish that the apprehension wasn't so intense, you know, mm-hmm. to um, development.
1: Yeah, I think the reason why it is is because people have had everything snatched from them. Mm-hmm. I mean if you like literally everybody that a lot of people that I've known in the city are either can't find housing uh living with me or mm-hmm. <laughs> living with you know their parents yeah yeah and like you said it's all this new development but when you walk into a building and they're asking you for $2000 for a studio yeah then it's not really that's there that's that's them slapping you in the face and saying actually this isn't really for you mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um And that's why I think people are just so upset and so angry because for years we've been told as a black community we're going to get jobs, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like everybody's uh, political platform, jobs, um, housing, justice in whichever form it it takes Mm -hmm. um, for that era. So I think that's why people are so apprehensive is that a lot of the times that when we do get something in Ward 7 or Ward 8 that it's either not by us, mm-hmm. um, or it's not for us in terms of like affordability, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the apprehension is. So with like things, and there's this is huge debate, you know, around bus boys and poets and how they treat their workers, um, whether that's the first sign of gentrification or not. And a lot of people do feel that way. Right? We only
0: got an hour, so I, I can't, I can't <laughs> even get into what I would say to answer that question. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I, I feel you. Did. I
1: love seeing things, but I love seeing things like turning natural, yeah. black owned, mm-hmm. right? Healthy for mm-hmm. the community. That's that's something that we want to see in a, yeah. in the um on along that strip the Anacostia Art Center mm-hmm. another place that has like Black people owning their own business and hosting events for yes. the community. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. I want it to be by us and for us, yes. right? And even in forms of cooperatives where we're collectively owning something. Mm-hmm. I think that we need to really transform the way we think about what we want our communities to look like. And what it is to just get to be thankful for, like, the scraps that we're giving, right? Like, I just... Like, I'm not going to celebrate, you know, um, uh, a Buzzboy's coming. I can't celebrate that. Mm-hmm. You know, it means I I want more than yeah. that. Yeah. So, I can understand... You want that to be one
0: of the things, not necessarily the premier...
1: Yeah, and yeah. I even I, I feel like that whole thing could have been something else. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it could have been somebody a, a, a restaurant you know cooperative or something like that where the owners are collectively owning the business like that exists yeah and so, it, I, I
0: remember there's talks i don't know if there's still in talks or if this is actually going to be a thing but i remember there were talks about a, a grocery co-op a co-op coming yeah yeah and the grocery
1: there. co-op like those are the things that i want to see like mm-hmm. i'm far past this like oh you know andy shallow or whatever is like invested in the community so you know, we're going to be happy that he's bringing his restaurant to Ward 8 and it's going to bring us all this business. And that's what people are fixated on is about jobs. But are they quality jobs? Are they affordable? Like, can you live off of the the salary that you're getting there, right? Um, is it is it fair? We don't think about these things when we're um, talking about, like, development. So I think a lot of people are just weary. Yeah. They don't want things to be, they don't want Ward 8 to look like Shaw, Mm -hmm. you know because i grew up in this neighborhood it always looked like this and it was snatched away from me it's not affordable for me and i grew up in this neighborhood
0: i I was at howard in (laughs) in 2000 i remember when with
1: how you remember what this used to look like yeah and like i would love to to live on the same block as my mother Mm -hmm. i would love that i would love to buy a home on the same block as my mom with my own space but still be close to my family Mm -hmm. and i cannot do that yeah like, they've shut me out. Mm-hmm. Ward 7 and Ward 8 are essentially one of the only places that a lot of us black and brown people can afford. Yeah. So when they talk about bringing wards, the development to Ward 7 and 8, we think, oh, this shit about to look like Shaw.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And we don't want that. Yeah. Like, white folks are already setting up shop in Anacostia. Like, it's nothing. Like, opening up business, opening up businesses, doing all kinds of stuff. So, like, I mean, it's one thing, and I'm not just trying to say that, like, you know, white folks can't be supportive of black and brown communities but like we need to be able to make sure that the people who are doing stuff for us are doing it for us and we're reaping the benefits from it mm-hmm. um, and holding these folks accountable. Because literally anything could just be just thrown up and you could push a whole community out like it's nothing. And they're constantly trying to do that in Ward 7, both Ward 7 and 8. Mm-hmm. A lot of projects are trying to bury farms. People who fight for that, like are fighting for that land. You know, it used to be black land. It used to be owned by us. Yeah like we lost that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now they want to throw mixed income use development capers capers is gone capers 501 is, is gone. gone
0: 501 look at what
1: it look at what look at what it yeah. looks like now that's southwest yes
0: yes right waterfront yes.
1: look at waterfront right now
0: i i when I, I, I I'm a lift driver so like i take people when we're riding by and like you know we're just i'm just if they're not familiar or they haven't been here very long you know you know i just end up in these like impromptu history lessons like they'll bring up something i was like well this actually used to be and right across from this and i told them like yeah this used to be you know a house project called arthur caper dwellings you yeah. know and um they're like really I'm like yeah like right here <laughs> a project yeah and you know what's so right funny across about from it? Harris a too. lot of the
1: people who <laughs> lived in that neighborhood wanted to come back yeah they were told that they were going to be able to come back mm-hmm. and then they realized that they had to have a certain critical score They couldn't have all their family members on the lease, Mm -hmm. right? They had to have, um, a certain level of income Mm -hmm. and there were all these hoops that they had to jump to just to get back in. I mean, I have, um, there's one woman that I know who, who took 10 years for her to get back in there. 10 whole years. Wow. Like, and they told her that she couldn't have her daughter on the lease. Wow. So you're literally splitting families apart, throwing them out, like throwing them away. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us are moving to like PG County and other areas in the surrounding areas that are less affordable, um, Or more affordable.
0: But less accessible. But
1: less accessible, right? And then you have the transportation issue. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I I understand why people are so apprehensive and like, and like feel it deeply. You know, mm-hmm. it's a strong apprehension because they want to make sure that the city is doing it right. Because right. they can tell you they are and you realize on the back end of it that you're not going to be able to get back into your the place that you grew up in. So I think it's good that they're getting a lot of like pushback and apprehension cuz it makes people make sure that they're coming correctly.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. Um so I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Um so this takes me to my final question with the 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 black and brown residents of of DC. Um native or not, mm. um in the current local and national political climate, um what should we be on the lookout for, what should we be prepared for? Um, mm-hmm. How should we prepare for what um, more than likely we have speculated <laughs> to come? You know what I mean? Because um, um, things have changed quite a bit. Um, I mean, living in the backyard of, like, the federal government, mm-hmm. as well as, um, you know, like I said, like we just went through um, a couple ba- major changes um, within D.C. local government. You know what I mean? So, like, what should what do you what would you say is in store what, should, what how should people prepare for what's in store
1: um i think that we just gotta hold our communities close um hold our family close start strategizing about what it is that we want um it to look like in washington dc i'm all about local politics because i feel like that's how you like make the most get the most out of your like efforts. really here, same here. um Like, I think sometimes national politics is just too big. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people lose sight and hope and they just fall off. But with local politics, you can start seeing your efforts, like, start to benefit you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think locally, and I think we have to keep pushing Bowser around affordable housing. Mm -hmm. We need more affordable housing. Um, She recently um, expanded HPAP. So that if you make under thirty um, percent of the AMI, mm-hmm. I believe, then you don't have to pay back the loan um, okay. that they give you, unless you sell your house. Um, she increased the amount they give you to from fifty thousand to eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, which is also really good. But we need much more than that, right? Mm-hmm. You can still get kicked out of an affordable housing complex, right? 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 Um, there are no real stipulations. They're privately owned. Mm-hmm. So, we need real affordable housing. Not one person paying a thousand dollars that they can't afford for mm. one bedroom. But something even cheaper than that, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want the bare minimum because affordable housing, literally you can make $80,000 and then move into an affordable housing complex. There's no real stipulation around it. If you make 80% of the AMI, you can still apply for affordable housing.
0: And A lot of these. Yeah, uh, con- I, I was reading that. And I'm just like, man, that's wow. Like- that
1: exactly. They don't define really what affordable you think you, when they say affordable housing, you really think that they're talking about. Uh, somebody who's making like seventeen to twenty thousand. When in actuality, you're talking about somebody who's making like sixty and seventy thousand dollars. Who they want? They want that to be the new poor in Washington D.C. People making fifty and sixty thousand dollars,
0: which is 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 mind boggling. Cause like you know, once upon a time, like. I mean, shit, shit, like, there's even people to the, in this to this day, even though, like, it's not a lot of money, but it's still, like, more than what a lot of people are making. They would love to make that much money. And so now, just for you saying, like, they want that to be the new Porsche, it's like, man, that is wow. It is. <laughs> it is.
1: I mean, if you look at, look at some good, I mean, I, I encourage people to go look at some of these uh, um, minimum incomes that you have to make in order to get into some of these affordable housing complex. Okay. You have to make quite a bit of money. Um, and the 50% of Americans are making under
0: $30,000 a year. Yeah. Right. And DC so insulated, Like a, a lot of people in DC don't even realize that like, you know, outside of the beltway, it's very, very different,
1: yeah. you know,
0: financially and economically, you know what I mean? It's
1: more, it's much more affordable, <laughs> man. You know how much land I can get in, a, uh, on, in Atlanta? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or some of these other places mm-hmm. like, it's much more affordable than it is in Washington D.C. During the recession, I think D.C. was the only place where the housing prices increased.
0: I, I did. <laughs> I, I dated a woman who lived in Philly. She um had she was renting out a three bedroom uh row home that up there in South Philly. Um, renovated. Um, steel appliances. I mean, aluminum appliances. All of that. Um new floors, um granite countertops, whole nine yards. Backyard too, even enough room for her dog in the backyard. She pays $700 a month for that, for wow. that for rent. Wow. I was like, "What?" Can't even imagine anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> you was like, she's like, "Yeah, I pay $700 a month." And and I was like, like that's even cheap for the hood cuz like it was still like in the hood. And I'm just like, "Yo, like I don't even know what seven hundred dollars a month will get you in the hood market rate in DC.
1: You can't get nothing yeah. for seven hundred. You get a you get half a room. That's what exactly. you get for seven hundred dollars. Yeah. So you get half a room.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that's if that, that. Yeah. So I was just like, man, what? <laughs> I'm about to move back to Philly.
1: <laughs> yes, no, Philly is that Philly is where it's at for real. That's why we need to and that's what I'm saying. Like we gotta cause they are just selling this place left and right. Mm-hmm. Every piece of property land that they can sell. The mayor is doing it, mm-hmm. so we have to be on top of them because they're passing legislation from left to right. Mayor Bowser just, um, where it was just, um, pushing for speeding tickets to be increased to a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars. You okay? Okay, um, that's for di- who's paying a thousand dollars?
0: I guess they weren't playing when they say there's a war on cars. Right. Like, no,
1: 109, 199 million dollars the city made off of just tickets alone, and they depend on that money for their budget.
0: I remember when, uh, uh, um, what's his name, Adrian Fenty came on News Channel Four, and they were talking about, you know, how are you gonna, you know, close the 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 budget gap? Oh, we're just gonna write more tickets. We're just gonna, you know, just write more tickets. Write more tickets. Yeah, no. I'm like.
1: Damn, you really came out your face and said that, man? (laughs) Yeah, but they don't understand that the burden that it puts on the people and nobody's really campaigning around it, so they get to do it. Um, But there's been talks about a group kind of coming together to push the council Mm -hmm. to really just, like, do some sort of, like, ticket reform, speed of ticket reform, because this is ridiculous and they're really dependent on us to foot the bill for a lot of things. Um, So we really need to figure out, like, what it is that we're going to do. And, like, I also want to talk about, like, us being a sanctuary city for um, undocumented immigrants. Yes, yes. You know, um, we need to make sure that we are funding resources to attorneys to help undocumented immigrants locally. Absolutely. So if we say we're a sanctuary city, we need to be doing everything necessary in order to make sure that we are a sanctuary city. But, like, we have to, I think, as a community we really need to learn how to come together Mm -hmm. how to be supportive of each other and say you know not on my watch so if you are if you are friends with an undocumented immigrant what is it that you're willing to do and who is it that you're willing to get in a room in order to make sure that that person stays here Mm -hmm. and that's the kind of like organizing that we need we don't need like pointless direct actions we need really organized strategic support systems for people who are truly at risk
0: Okay, all right. I mean, I like it. I like all of it. I'm with it. I'm with the shit, man. I'm with the shit. So, in closing, what's your plan for inauguration weekend?
1: Oh, I'm in Cuba, baby.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) You out of here? I'm
1: out. I'm gone. No protesting. (laughs) No nothing. No women's march. I'm not for that shit. Like, no. Like, I'm not. I mean, white women should have just voted for. (laughs) 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 March after the fact. How the people there voted for Trump. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't. I'm not doing it. Like it's not. It's... Okay, go get go, go, go your shoes. Go get your shoes. Um. Yeah. Like I'm. I'm in Cuba. I'm gone. Right. Like I'm getting. I'm recentering myself and kind of figuring out what I'm gonna do with what the youth group and I will be doing together, collaborating to make sure that we're holding each other down.
0: Okay. You know, Uh
1: like, that's what I'm focusing on, is making sure that the people that are in my circle and my network are being held down and that we are not, like, driving ourselves in the ground. We're taking care of ourselves and doing the work that's necessary um, to be there for each other.
0: It's right there. Okay. Here you go.
1: Thank you. Are you putting your shoes on the right foot? I, I... can you help me with that shoe that I won't Yeah, that shoe goes on
0: that foot. Well I'm glad you're recentering. I, I, I like when people who do a lot who who work very hard and do you great do work take time for themselves to to regroup Thank so you. they don't burn out. So I'm glad and I'm glad that you're getting out the country. I, I I'm
1: definitely I, getting out the country. I had to like I have to I have to go. I need to. I haven't been out the country in like over ten years.
0: Okay. Okay. So it's
1: been a while for me, and I kind of feel like 2017 is about like really focusing on myself, um, making sure that I'm traveling and exploring and seeing what resistance looks like um, in other countries too, mm-hmm. um, not just here in the states. And you know I'm really excited to like see Cuba, to go to the museums and hear what the people. Um, have been doing in order to like fight for each other. What is it? What is it even? What does a communist country even look like? <laughs> I'm just ready to go. I'm not here. I'm not focused on no Trump or nothing that week. Like we got four years to do this, and like honestly, we, a lot of us have been doing this work for Trump. Okay, you know, like not to be a downer, but the um, Obama deported more people than any other president. So what does that mean? Like, is Trump gonna just beat his record? I don't know. <laughs>
0: you're yeah, you bringing you, you up stuff that a lot of people don't want to hear yeah. you definitely bring up I st- mean
1: it's true though I mean we have to be we have to be real about the condition that we're in like eight years later later, like what is it that we have yeah, yeah. as a community like are we better off nah
0: you're absolutely right you're and absolutely a lot right. of
1: people I mean some of the bougiest people I know will tell me in my face no <laughs> right <laughs> they say that they're disappointed yeah, yeah. Nah. and these are people that are that are same. comfortable
0: same here same here same. Thing. I agree. So,
1: if they feel that way, imagine what it like the impact that this administration has had on like working class and poor people. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm just ready to do the work. I'm not fixated on like I am I mean, we have to be aware of what's happening nationally, but my focus, me in particular is local politics. Got it. You know, and what is it that I can get for the people in my community locally? And I encourage everybody nationally to do exactly the same thing because it's your council members. um, You know, we don't have representation, I guess, but, you know, we have to, like, push for that, yeah. you know, yeah. so that we have our own voice locally and that is one thing that Mayor Bowser has been like advocating for is for us to be a state and have con- and to control our budget, okay. our own budget, so that the council doesn't have to uh, approve things that we approve. Right,
0: right. Okay.
1: Um, on a local level.
0: All right. Well, we can leave it right there. Chi Chi, where can people find
1: you? Um. Okay. So the group Melanin Uprising is facebook.com slash melanin uprising, M E L A N I N uprising. And um, our Twitter handle is at Melan Uprising as well. Um, and, you know, you can always find me on Facebook, Chioma Iwoha. You know, come see what I'm talking about and what we're doing. But if you want to know what the local uh, youth group is doing, definitely like our page.
0: Word. All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for being The All the Fly Kids show is produced and recorded at One Love Magic studio, located across from the historic Howard Theater in Washington, D.C. Engineered by Mike, Mark, and Molly, and produced by Geronimo Nogue. You can subscribe and listen to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or MixCloud. Pay it forward and let your people know we're here.